Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, a podcast where two ladies play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover sensitive topics, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Thank you for listening to our disclaimer. And hello, welcome to this week on The Wheel, Wheel of Crime. That was the crispest, crispest disclaimer I've ever done. Of all time. Of all time. I'm your host, Jennifer Will. And I am Emily Will. <laughs> <laughs> Emily P. Will. <laughs> Mrs. Emily P. Will. <laughs> and welcome to this week's episode of the wheel of crime so we're Jen, gonna talk about <laughs> covering the middle of nowhere crops. oh my god what am i talking this week we're gonna talk about john cut it <laughs> <laughs> this week we're gonna talk about underwater crime or no fuck <laughs> why do you keep doing that kate this week you need to zip it <laughs> this week, week we're, we're, gonna gonna cover, we're gonna cover the middle, middle of nowhere, nowhere crimes <laughs> why are you like this we're also re-recording this episode because last time we recorded it, it sounded like trash. So here we are again. It sounded like if Oscar the Grouch had a podcast and he just recorded inside of his garbage can. <laughs> Seriously, though. It was not a good situation. Our editor sent us a message and was like, hey, so yeah, no. So this ain't gonna fly. <laughs> this is not happening now. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, Jen, would you like... To do as our name suggests and spin the wheel of crime to do our wheel of questions. Yes, I would love to spin the wheel of crime for our wheel of questions. You ready? I'm ready, Em. One. Okay. Would you rather be lost in the woods by yourself with a cell phone or with your partner and without a cell phone? I would rather be with my partner and without a cell phone. Because, A, what if there's no cell service? And B, I'd be scared alone. I'd be scared. <laughs> I need someone to protect me. <laughs> I mean, I love John. But if anyone's protecting anybody, you're protecting John. Also, like, if a bear's chasing us, all I have to do is outrun him and then I'm good. Which, the bear or John? <laughs> John. <laughs> I just have to overrun John, and then I'm safe, because the bear will be pretty focused on someone else. This is the truth. What about you? I feel like I do the same, because I also agree that if you are in the middle of nowhere, there is likely not any cell reception, so what good would it do then? And also, the question doesn't say that your partner doesn't have their cell phone, so you could be with your partner and still have a cell phone. Exactly. Because mine is never without his cell phone. (laughs) And also, what if your phone dies, then you're just left with nothing. Right? I know, right? Nothing, I tell you, nothing! (laughs) What's the worst place to be lost? I would go ahead and say the middle of the ocean, because as we discussed previously... I'm scared of the ocean, but and the I, pirates, <laughs> specifically Somalian the, pirates. The pirates would come for me if I'm lost at sea. You're right. All pirates have a radar where they're like, Jen's lost at sea. <laughs> they're like, we must get her. Time to strike. 
<laughs> Now's our time to strike. This yeah. is our moment. The moment we've been waiting for all these years. <laughs> they just like have a little like red button that says in case Jen gets lost at sea. <laughs> exactly. It alerts all the pirates. They're like, Jen's lost at sea. Let's go, guys. Right? But no, seriously, being lost in like the middle of the ocean is a terrifying thought. In my opinion. I definitely agree with that one, but I'm going to add two extra places to your list. Okay. So one of them is the catacombs, because like we covered in our uh, catacombs episode, there are tons of people who do get lost in them, and not only is that a place where there's already a bunch of dead people, but literally nobody would ever find you. It's for sure haunted. Oh, it's for sure haunted, right? Your ghost would be stuck there forever, because there's no way you're going to find your way out, in, <laughs> even after death. Oh my! Right? And then I'm going to say also any kind of underground cave, because there's not any light. You don't know what's in there. You don't know what kind of gases, if there's any sort of oxygen. You have no idea what's down there, right? There could be dinosaurs, like, journeying to the center of the earth. But if it was, like, journeying to the center of the earth, that'd be kind of cool. I mean, I'm not going to say it wouldn't be cool. (laughs) But it would also be terrifying. But it would also be a little terrifying. A little spoopy. No, I'm not jumping on that train. Spoopy. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? Yes, this is the stupidest question ever. Of course it does. I'm talking to you out there who says it doesn't. That's because whoever says that it doesn't make a sound is trying to make a philosophical argument. It obviously makes a sound whether or not you're there. (laughs) Like... Things happen outside of your own personal world, Barbara. <laughs> yeah, Barbara. Get it together. You're I- not the center of our universe. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, just on a side note, every Barbara I've ever met has always been a very nice lady. That's good to know. <laughs> That's fair. I've actually really heard that a lot of people seem to think that Emily's are just weird people in general. Like, I'm pretty strange, but I like to think that I'm more, like, normal-ish. <laughs> Anyways. No. No. But no. But like, I remember I was talking to this one girl. She's like, oh, like, I'm really glad that I got a chance to get to know you because every other Emily I've met has always been really weird. And I'm like, oh, like, what kind of weird? And they're like, oh, like, runs in the streets pretending to be a cat kind of weird. And I was like, ah. She's done that before. Don't let her fool you. It wasn't a cat. It was a raptor. It's different. Yeah, it's so different. (laughs) I have video evidence, guys, so. We are not sharing this. (laughs) Don't tell me what to do. Have you ever been in the middle of nowhere? And what is that like? I have, because I've been to Saskatchewan before. That's um, fair. <laughs> that's the whole province, basically. Middle of nowhere. It really is. Unless it has a subway. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, ah, civilization! Yes, subway. Eat fresh. <laughs> in Saskatchewan. Um, no, but I've been in the middle of nowhere before, just like camping or doing other random things. Right. It's okay. It's just like not my favorite thing. I'm more of a city girl. It's fair. Which I feel like you could very much agree with. You are definitely a city girl. The bigger, the better. Um, I can't say the same for myself, but... <laughs> have you ever been in the middle of nowhere? Well, I have. You've also been to Saskatchewan. Yes, I have also been to Saskatchewan and also Manitoba. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that's like a next level middle of nowhere. And the Yukon. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. Emily, but whoa. Only, kind of, not really. No, um, she's not kidding at all. But I will say I do go to a lot of middle of nowhere for work. And it's mostly a lot of farmer's fields and usually mountains or forests. I don't know. I don't mind it if you're with people you like spending time with. Yeah. I feel like that makes the difference. Mm -hmm. And then 
also i guess it depends like how far you off are off of main roads and like if it's haunted or if there's pirates these are all factors you need to consider i did educate you on the saskatchewan pirates the other day which are a legitimate thing that we should be afraid of i know i have a new fear Thanks, Em. You're welcome. Anytime. So rude. I'm literally here to tell you anytime about the Saskatchewan Pirates. God damn it. In case you need a reminder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that does wrap up our Wheel of Questions. It does wrap up our Wheel of Crime, Wheel of Questions. (laughs) So many wheels. All the wheels. We have 20 wheels here. Right? Then there's the Wheel of Time. (laughs) (laughs) There's the Wheel of No Time. The Wheel of Torture. The wheel of snacks. The wheel of coffee. The wheel of shots. We haven't done that wheel in a while. Yes, our shot roulette. It is on our radar to do a drunk crimes episode soon in which we will be drunk. Word to that. Coming soon, folks. Ready to see Emily get lit? (laughs) (laughs) Or here? Oh, God. Well, seeing it's a bit better, I think, than hearing it. Hearing it... We're more ignorant. We already are. Yeah. It gets a little worse, but yeah. maybe better. Who's Substantially to say? worse. Who's to say? We don't know. It's fine. I mean, I judge myself every day, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, guys. It's all good. Right? I guess we'll see. And since I couldn't find middle of nowhere specific, I'm going to share with you the t- description for The Boondocks. Okay. Which isn't just a TV show which did come up in my search. So the boondocks is an American expression from the Tagalong word boondock. It's got a up accent on the O, which means mountain. And it originally referred to remote rural area and now is often applied to an out-of-the-way area considered backward and unsophisticated by city folk. It can also designate a mountain. Upon reading that description, that actually does match middle of nowhere pretty well because it is out of the way and usually, in our case anyways with where we live, does indeed refer to a mountain usually. 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 Unless you're in Saskatchewan. Well, then you have to worry about the pirates anyway, so who even cares, right? Exactly. You're you're preoccupied with other things. Exactly. But... That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So, like I said, we're going to stretch it this week. As every week. Stretch it like an... 80s workout instructor. <laughs> Push it. With a little bit Push of flair. Push it real good. Yep. Push it. And... <laughs> <laughs> I like how when I say 80s workout video, that's the song that popped into your head. <laughs> it takes me back. Ah, uh, yes. But... My early 20s. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So many years ago in my early 20s. <laughs> It was so long ago. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm ready. So, in North American folklore, Bigfoot or Sasquatch are said to be hairy, upright walking, ape-like creatures that dwell in the wilderness and leave footprints. Footprints, you say? Yes. They are known for their footprints. What? I know. I was shook when I read that. Uh, depictions often portray them as a missing link between humans and human ancestors or other great apes. They are strongly associated with the Pacific Northwest, particularly Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, and individuals claim to have seen the creatures across North America. Over the years, these creatures have inspired numerous commercial venues and hoaxes. The plural nouns Bigfoots and Big Feet are both acceptable. Folklorists trace the figure of Bigfoot to a combination of factors and sources, including folklore surrounding the European wildman figure, 
folk belief among Native Americans and loggers, and the cultural increase in environmental concerns. Which is fair. I myself have driven through a lot of places that advertise for their Sasquatch or Bigfoot or Wild Man. Or Yeti. Yeah, or like, uh, especially I noticed in Oregon, they do have a lot of that sort of thing. The Yeti culture. Yep. A majority of mainstream scientists have historically discounted the existence of Bigfoot, considering it to be a combination of folklore, misidentification, and a hoax rather than living animals. And a minority, such as anthropologists Grover Kratz and Jeffrey Meldrum, have expressed a belief in the creature's existence. So people who claim to have seen it describe Bigfoot as a large, muscular, bipedal, ape-like creature, roughly 6 to 9 feet tall, or 1.8 to 2.7 meters tall, covered in hair described as black, dark brown, or dark reddish, such as myself. <laughs> dark reddish. <laughs> so the enormous footprints for which the creatures are named are claimed to be as large as 24 inches or 60 centimeters long and 8 inches, 20 centimeters wide. Some footprint casts have also contained claw marks, making it likely that they came from known animals such as bears, which have five toes and claws, which is fair. So according to David Dagleg... <laughs> Dagleg. <laughs> according to David Dagleg... <laughs> what? He said it differently. I can't read. The legends <laughs> We've established that, I know. I need to continue. <laughs> you don't need to continue. Give up! The legends paid it! You're going nowhere in life! <laughs> they differ in their details both regionally and between families in the same community. So ecologist Robert Pyle says... <laughs> ecologist Robert Pyle says that most cultures have accounts of human-like giants in their folk history, expressing a need for some larger-than-life creature. Each language had its own name for the creatures featured in the local versions of such legends. So many names meant something along the lines of wild man <laughs> or hairy man. Along other names, it described common actions that it was said to perform, such as eating clams or shaking trees, which is what Jenny does on the weekend. Hey! So <laughs> don't tell them that. That was a secret between us. <laughs> You can't let them know. I'm trying to keep up an image here. <laughs> so, Chief Michelle of Nalakapamux at Lytton, British Columbia, told such a story to Charles Hill Tout in 1898. He claimed the creature by a Cilician variant, meaning the benign-faced one. So, members of the Lumi tell tales of Tissemmequez. Tissemmequez. I cannot... Confirm, if that's how you say it. <laughs> In fact, she can probably confirm that it's not how you say it. I, I can confirm that I tried. <laughs> um, the local version of Bigfoot. And the stories are similar to each other with the general descriptions of the Tissamakawas, but details differed among various family accounts concerning the creature's diet and activities. Some regional versions tell of more threatening creatures. The Stayaha or the Kawikwiye, which are a nocturnal race. So children were warned against saying the names, lest the monsters hear and come to carry off the person to sometimes be killed. Which is why we are recording in my house and not outside, because then I'd be chancing fate. Because <laughs> I don't like death. <laughs> not today, Satan. Not today, Bigfoot. Not today, Bigfoot. In 1847, Paul Kane reported stories by the Indians about Skakooms, a race of cannibalistic wild men living on the peak of Mount St. Helen in southern Washington state. So less menacing versions have also been recorded, such as the one in 1840 by Ilakana Walker, a Protestant missionary <laughs> who recorded stories of giants among the Indians living near Spokane, Washington, or Spokane. I'm it's not from Spokane. there. I'm not from there. It's Spokane. Have you never seen the Spokane amusement 
like water park, amusement park How commercials. On earth would I have seen that? They were always on TV. I didn't grow up with cable. <laughs> they were always on TV. <laughs> Gotta go to Spokane. I don't even know. I can't remember. But John, I've Irvin- seen a Six Flags commercial once. <laughs> what? I'm like a Six Flags. It might have been Four Flags. I don't know. <laughs> Discount Six Flags. <laughs> Come to Four Flags, Cal- Vancouver, California. <laughs> Come on, guys. Canada's cool, too. Right? Anyways. <laughs> so, the Indians said that these giants lived on and around the peaks of nearby mountains and stole salmon from the fishermen's nets. So, in the 1920s, Indian agent J.W. Burns compiled local stories and published them in a series of Canadian newspaper articles. They were accounts told to him by the Stailes people of Chehalis and others. The Stailes and other regional tribes maintained that the Sasquatch were real. They were offended by the people telling them that the figures were legendary, and according to the Stailes' accounts, the Sasquatch preferred to avoid white men and spoke the Lillooet language of the people of Port Douglas, British Columbia, at the head of Harrison Lake. These accounts were published again in 1940, and Burns borrowed the term Sasquatch from the Halcomelem Sesquats. I'm pretty sure that's not how you say that. (laughs) Can confirm. And used it in his articles to describe a hypothetical single type of creature portrayed in the local stories. So Bigfoot proponents Grover Krantz and Joffrey H. Byrne believed that Bigfoot could be a relic population of Gigantopithecus. All Gigantopithecus fossils (laughs) were found in Asia, but according to Byrne, many species of animals migrated across the Bering Land Bridge and suggested that the Gigantopithecus might have done so as well. The Gigantopithecus fossils have not been found in the Americas, and the only recovered fossils are of mandibles and teeth, leaving the uncertainty about giganto things locomotion uh krantz has argued that giganto things blackie could have been bipedal based on his extrapolation of the shape of its mandible however the relevant part of the mandible is not present in any fossils and an alternative view is that gigantopithecus was quadrupedal its enormous mass would have made it difficult to adopt a bipedal gait that's a lot of quad and bi and well because it's an excerpt from like a scientific that's a lot of pedals Lots of petals. Basically, it couldn't be this because they don't have any feet evidence or fossils to have confirmed that. And with how big it was, it wouldn't have been able to walk on its feet anyways. Is basically what that meant. <laughs> and then... Science, guys. So then... Wow. Just passing over my comments. Like, yep, I don't care, bitch. I'm moving on without ya. Bill, Bill, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, now that Jenny's done rambling, let me get on with my story. I'm almost done. Oh my god, I hate when you say that and I always cut it out. John, leave that one in <laughs> so they know my pain. Uh, <laughs> Bernard G. Campbell writes that Giganto thing is in fact extinct and has been questioned by those who believe it survive as the Yeti of the Himalayas and the Sasquatch of the Northwest American coast, but the evidence for these creatures is not convincing. So basically, it's what we already knew, which is that they don't have a lot of evidence about it, but that the Sasquatch that we know today is not actually a creature from any type of mythology, but rather one created taking different types of stories from about different Native American tribes and kind of molding all those stories together. Hmm, that's interesting. Exactly. And I figured this fits in with our wheel of crime, crime aspect, (laughs) because of the whole... They would explain children's absences Mm -hmm. from Native American tribes in some anyways that, oh, well, it's because this nocturnal creature or our nocturnal wild man did it, right? Right. So they kind of 
shifted the blame of these crimes onto some mythical creature rather than trying to figure out who actually did it. Exactly. And this is only classified as a myth in the first place because even though there has been a lot of effort to find evidence of what, of like these his- creatures' history, we've gone on this long without finding any. So... <laughs> She, like, migrates further and further away from the microphone. Well, that's because I'm worried about blasting people's ears off. Because <laughs> I look over and we're, like, in the red zone. And I'm like, well, that's my voice blowing out somebody's ear hole. <laughs> it's easier to turn it down than turn it up. <laughs> so besides that noise. That's my brain melting. <laughs> I don't know. Are you of the belief where you think that they could find evidence of a Bigfoot one day and prove of its, of its existence? Or do you think... It's a stretch based off of these different mythologies and different storytelling and sharing and kind of people wanting to believe. I feel like it's probably one of those... I feel that it's probably one of those things that people, like, made up and over time it got morphed into something that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So it's... Like, we'll never find Bigfoot because Bigfoot doesn't exist, but the idea of him exists. And and it's a combination of a lot of things that people, through, like, playing telephone, eventually Mm -hmm. became about. I do think you have a good point. And also, I was thinking about this when I was researching my topic about how, especially along this particular area of North America, there are all these very similar stories of either the hairy men or the wild men, but they're all a larger-than-life type figure. Right. And it it is possible that a lot of these tribes, just through meeting each other over time, had passed on these stories between each other, and that's how the stories spread. But I will also say that I do know that in other types of mythologies, if there in real life was an individual, like, say it's a Native American person, or just, like, maybe it might have been a bear that didn't have any arms or anything like that, but any type of figure that would have been able to portray that in a way that wouldn't have made sense to the people at the time, that's also where a lot of these types of stories come from. Just seeing something they didn't recognize and then making it to be something else. Right. Or like, uh, I know, for example, just from the area that my family first settled in into Canada, it was a long time ago. And so... Yesterday? Yeah, last week. Uh, (laughs) I'm not from here. (laughs) Don't fault me. I'm from outer space and I only speak gibberish, so English is my second language. Literally. But I do remember, though, like, within my own family, like, we would also share a lot of these stories just from the area that my family had first settled into. So when I grew up, I used to hear stories from the area that it was, which is around the Drumheller area, actually. And... There were stories of, like, a seven-foot Indian man, and he was really portrayed to be kind of, like, almost, like, not like a godly figure, but somebody, like, very, like, warrior, mystical, had a lot of different types of powers, and he was Mm -hmm. taken out in a very, like, convoluted way. And I don't know the story as fully, because, like I said, this is something that was passed down through my own family. Right. But that's kind of a good example, especially in this case, I feel, because it's sort of like what you said, a game of telephone. You can't really tell what parts of it who got from where, right? Yeah, and it's it's probably a combination of different stories melded together and you just remember part of it. So you kind of bring up what you remember and then you pass it on to somebody else and then they... And if they remember, then they share the parts that they remember. Exactly. So the whole, the original story is lost. Exactly. And I think, too, like, that would really explain why they had some of these 
like Sasquatch type creatures who were who were nocturnal and like cannibalistic lived on Mount St. Helens. Some of them liked to eat clams. Some of them were kind. Some of them were gentle faced. Some of them only spoke to select groups of people. Right. Right. Like very very interesting, but very very like uh, compact little details that wouldn't necessarily translate over to other uh, cultures. And not necessarily consistent stories either. That is also true. Which is true of a lot of mythologies you talk about on this podcast. Which is why I like to share them. Because <laughs> a lot of them have their roots in kind of the darker aspect with the whole, like, crime. And there's different types, like, betrayals or, like, you know, just different dark elements to them. But a yeah. lot of them also have a lot of root in history and just, like, a lot of things that we understand today now. Not necessarily of being known back then. Which is also why I like to share them. Okay. Take me on a journey. <laughs> I will take you on a journey. Oh boy, I liked road trips. Goody! <laughs> to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay, so for my story, I need to set the stage a little. So let me take you to the tiny village of Athens in Marathon County, Wisconsin, USA. Oh, my favorite place to go to. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Are you going there soon? Maybe. I'm either going to Wisconsin or Chicago. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Chicago. In Wisconsin. This is why they don't let me go to either of those places. This is why they don't even let you cross the border. (laughs) No, we don't want her. They're like, actually, we heard that Jen was on this plane. Turn it around and call the pirates. (laughs) (laughs) No! Push her out the window and throw her into the middle of the ocean. (laughs) We heard she loves it. So sad. Anyways. So, as of the census of 2010, there were 1,105 people, 471 households, and 298 families residing in the village of Athens. The village. The population density was 449.2 inhabitants per square mile, and there were 503 housing units at an average density of 204.5 square mile. The racial makeup for the village was 96.2% white, 0.2% African American, 0.2% Native American, 0.2% Asian, and 2.4% from other races, and 0.8% from two or more races. Hispanic or Latino of any race were 4.9% of the population, and of those 471 households, of which 30 0.1% had children under the age of 18 living with them. 50.7% were married couples living together. 8.1% had a female householder with no husband present. 4.5% had a male householder with no wife present. 36.7% were non-families. 30.1% of all households were made up of individuals. And 14.4% had someone living alone who was 65 years or older. Okay. The average household size was 2.35, and the average family size was 2.96. Now, the median age of the village was 39 and a half years, and 24.7 of the residents were under the age of 18, 7.6 were between 18 and 24, 25.7 were from 25 to 44, 24.3% were 45 to 64, and 17.7% were 65 years or older, and the gender makeup of the village was 51% male, 49% female. 
Okay. And to kind of update, because those were all the stats from 2010, which was, oh my God, nine years ago. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. As of 2017, the population was counted as 1,088 people. So they lost a few people from their tiny village. Ah. Yes. Athens is primarily agricultural with small industrial park on the south side of the village limits. So basically... I think we can all agree that this place is in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yes, I would say so. (laughs) If those stats didn't convince you, nothing will. The stats. The stats. The stats. That's right. I took a statistics class in university. That's what's up, bitch. I definitely did not. (laughs) (laughs) I was forced to. It was a requirement for my degree. That's why I'm here now, finally using it. Because this is the first time (laughs) since college. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I'm not salty about the $500 course I paid for. I'm salty for you. (laughs) I'll be salty. (laughs) So for this story, we're going to time travel as we often do on this podcast. I love time traveling. Uh, today we are going to time travel back to 1987. Whoa, the year I was partying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was my (laughs) mid-30s. Totally. (laughs) And we're going to talk about the Kunz family. Not to be confused with the Kunz family. I was going to say similar. (laughs) I almost said it every, every time I read it, I'm like, I want to say that, but I won't. But now I did. So here we are. Let's move on. (laughs) So here here we are. Next question. (laughs) So this family was comprised of three elderly siblings and their 30-year-old nephew. Mm -hmm. The siblings' names were Clarice, who was 75 years old, and his two unmarried sisters, Irene, who was 81, and Marie, who was 72. Okay. They also had a nephew living with them named Randy, who was 30 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And Kenneth Kunz, another nephew of the siblings, lived on the property with his mother, Helen, but in a separate trailer from where his two aunts, uncle, and their nephew lived. Okay. That's quite the family setup there. Like, it kind of, I don't know, it's very non, it's a, kind of an irregular setup, I would think. I would say so. Not, you don't hear a lot about, like, three, like, older siblings living together. I feel like that's kind of strange to begin with. Yeah, I've heard of, like, older sisters living together, but not necessarily, like, more, like, family members. Yeah. So, it is what it is. But we'll see. Here we are. Here we are. It wasn't your typical family. In small places like this, everyone knows everyone, but this family was very reclusive into themselves. Helen, however, was known as a small, spiry woman, regarded as the most outgoing member of the quiet, withdrawn family. Mm. Helen and Randy were a constant presence at Athens High School sporting events. Mary Bork, a former pep club leader. Bork. Bork. That's quite the name. <laughs> Bork, Bork, Bork. <laughs> it's like a dog meme. Oh my god. I'm going to Bork at your neighbors. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh my god the borks and the cunts (laughs) i can't handle this story already uh so mary bork said that the group once presented helen with a corsage in honor of her loyal attendance ah bork said she was just a quiet little old lady who never missed an event but 
No one could have ever guessed what would have happened on July 5th, 1987. On that fateful day, Clarence, Irene, and Marie were found dead. Each was shot twice in the head with a .22 caliber weapon. Uh Uh-oh. Investigators say there was no indication of a struggle, although Randy was beaten on the head. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Eight shell casings and about $1,000 in cash were reported. Eight shell casings and $1,000 in cash were reported found in the house. There seemed to be no apparent motive or suspect for the crime. (gasps) On top of these horrific murders, Helen was missing and it seemed like she had just disappeared into thin air. When the police arrived, they soon discovered the family had been hoarders. They also discovered Helen had bought a .22 rifle. It was during a trip to Wheeler's which was a hardware store in their small little village, Mm. about three weeks before the murder had happened. It was during a trip to Wheeler's, which is a small hardware store in their village, and about three weeks before the murder happened, she had also bought some ammunition for that weapon. Ah. Which she told the owner of the store was for Randy to shoot blackbirds that had been plaguing the area. So fair enough, but very suspicious. I would say so. Very suspicious. As they poked around more, they discovered a slew of disturbing and strange facts. Helen's grandmother had been murdered by her own son. Mm. The house was full of strange pornographic images, and Helen's brother, who was also the father of her son, Kenneth. Huh. A little, Hmm. just a little sprinkle of incest in there. Ah, yes, just a touch. Just a... Just a little sprinkle. Just enough to uh, spice up the... (laughs) Spice up the nasty. Yeah. Evidence revealed the entire family was probably incestuous. (laughs) I mean, maybe. (laughs) We have a feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing confirmed yet, but we're we're pretty sure. We're working on it. (laughs) Few people interviewed in Athens realized that three other Kun's relatives inhabited the farmhouse. It was an unkept place where cats and dogs ran loose, and the 1930s were juxtaposed to the 1980s. There was no indoor plumbing, and all the cooking was done on a wood-burning stove. Yet there was a television set and a video cassette recorder player, and Helen only recently had ordered an electric toaster oven from Wheeler's hardware store. Ah, yes, an electric toaster oven. She was upgrading. Ah, yes, quite. She's like, you know what? Yesterday I bought some ammo. I'm going to buy myself a toaster oven. It's going to be great. As one does, yes. (laughs) It's an American thing, I think. I think so. (laughs) I don't know. The Sunday following these murders and Helen's disappearance, a massive shoulder-to-shoulder search was conducted of the fields, forests, and swampland on the Kunz's 108-acre farm, as well as the property and wetlands three miles north and several hundred yards to the south, east, and west. Mm -hmm. A specialty-equipped FBI airplane had scanned the area. Wells and abandoned shacks were searched. A garden behind their farmhouse was probed with rods and a sensing device. Each place where the crows hover was examined by search teams. And neighbors in every direction had been interrogated. Mm-hmm. None of the Kunz family's battered family cars were missing. No identified tire tread marks had been found on the property. And Helen was not known to be able to drive. Okay. On her trips to town, she was driven by her son, Randy. Merchants had said he usually waited in the car while Helen shopped or went to the laundromat or had breakfast at County Corner. County Corner. County Corner. That's quite the place. That's quite the middle of nowhere place, hey? I bet you it's bopping. (laughs) I bet you they only have a traditional farm breakfast and coffee. And Caesar salad. 
Yeah, that's it. And that's it. (laughs) Maybe chicken burger. I don't know. And fries. We'll see. We'll see. And maybe a milkshake. For sure coffee and cigarettes, though. Yeah, for For sure. For sure. For sure. She always wore a scarf over her hair and the black cloth coat people had said about her. She's the type of person you didn't really look at. A poor little old lady, said one neighbor. No father was listed on Randy's birth certificate recorded in nearby Wood County, said County Recorder of Deeds Walter Braun. The mother and son were last seen together at about 10.30 p.m. on the 4th of July at the Athens Fireworks Celebration. Nine months after the murders, Helen's body was found buried in a swamp not even 20 miles away, but police still had no real leads on the case and it went cold until 1998. Whoa. A local man named Chris Jacobs III... The third? The third. I dare declare. I dare declare you the third. (laughs) Who knew the family and believed they had substantial cash was charged with the murders and kidnapping. The ex-dairy farmer was acquitted in 1989 of murdering five members of a rural Athens family, but was sentenced to 31 years in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. Jacobs proclaimed his innocence before his sentencing, but showed no visible emotion as he received the maximum punishment from Circuit Judge Douglas Fox in a packed courtroom ringed with deputy sheriffs. Jacobs' mother wept and was comforted by a woman after the sentencing. She and Jacobs' father declined comment, and Jacobs' fiance fought back tears as Fox refused to grant her request to marry Jacobs in jail as a way to allow her to see him sooner in prison. In seeking the maximum punishment, a prosecutor portrayed Jacobs as a killer who got away with murder. Murder. Murder, he wrote. The victims were ambushed and killed, except for Helen Kunz, whose suffering was prolonged. Marathon County District Attorney Jill Falstad said, that's a long title. That was a long title. There is no underlying current of anger in the defendant. When it erupts, it is explosive in nature. Jacobs, who was 31 at the time, became eligible for parole in about eight years. He was found guilty in June after an eight-day trial of kidnapping 70-year-old Helen Kuntz, whose body was found in a marsh nine months after her four relatives were slain at their farmhouse. During the trial, his ex-girlfriend, Stacy Weiss, testified he told her she had shot and killed the Kuntz family and abducted Ellen to rape and then kill her. It was the only major new evidence that wasn't presented to jurors in a 1989 trial in which Jacobs was acquitted of being party to five counts of first-degree murder. A delegation of 11 Kuntz family residents, including Helen's son, Kenny, and her 90-year-old sister, Germaine Petcher, declined comment after the sentencing. Falsehood said the family felt the prison term was inadequate for what happened, but they're glad that he's being held accountable and that they can see some measure of closure. Jacob's attorney, public defender Weldon Nelson, said the verdict would be appealed, noting that one juror had acquitted Jacobs and that one has convicted him. Prosecutors contended that all evidence, tire tracks, shell casings, lack of an alibi, knowledge about the Kunz family, pointed to Jacobs as the one involved in the slayings. Gotcha. But ultimately, he said, it wasn't me, ho. Right. <laughs> wow, that was quite the roller coaster of a tale you took me on. <laughs> I told you, we're time traveling. We're going for a ride. No kidding. Gosh. We're going to the county corner. County corner for some hashies. Hashy brownies. <laughs> With onions. With onions. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of pepper. <laughs> no, no. Just a little salt. A little salt. A, a little, little salty? A pinch. 
A pinch of salt, a pinch of incest. A pinch of spice. <laughs> a little spice in your life. Ah, oh, but I guess that brings us to the end of our episode. And now we get to spin the wheel of crime, crime. to find out what our topic is next week. Drumble. Wow. Are you ready? Yeah. We're going to talk about underwater crimes. Well, I'm excited. I don't know about you. Yeah. I feel like I'll probably stretch it again, but we'll see what happens next week. She'll definitely stretch it again, so get ready for that next week. (laughs) All right. I guess if you like us, please give us five star on iTunes. And you can listen to our podcast there, too, if you like. If you want to. There's also Spotify. <laughs> whatever you feel on that day. Yeah, whatever uh, floats your boat. Floats your boat. <laughs> floats your Whatever boat. tickles your fancy. Well, I'm going to sign off. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Wheel of Crime everywhere. And if you feel so compelled, you can send us an email, wheelofcrime at gmail.com. Send us a picture of your cat. Send us a story you'd like us to talk about. Send us a topic you want us to try out. The possibilities are endless guys send us a story because i like to read yeah we love to send us what crimes you've committed we'd love to know we'd love to know or not (laughs) i mean if you murdered someone and like nobody knows maybe don't send that our way because like we'll definitely talk about it (laughs) we'll definitely be like this crazy bitch sent us a story it's a tale for the end of time (laughs) okay bye my name is jen and i'm emily bye (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.